28. That's the number of core strategies plus initiatives in the Adams administration's Rebuild, Renew, Reinvent, a blueprint for New York City economic recovery. While the administration has come into office with enthusiasm and energy and has released a number of plans to, as the mayor says, get stuff done, this is a challenging time indeed. New York City is staring down a bear market, inflation, global instability, sluggish employment growth, and a possible recession. And in the longer run, the economy is undergoing fundamental shifts in remote work, accelerated online retail, increasing mobility and population loss, and more competitors than ever before. While many aspects of the economy's larger forces are not within the administration's control, make no mistake, what the administration does will matter a lot. How fast New York City recovers, the opportunities created both for individuals and for businesses and for various business sectors and neighborhoods. And of course, the administration's actions will affect the impacts of economic transitions. How New York City takes care of those most in need, helps adults transition jobs, and educates our next generation. The administration's blueprint focuses on five overarching strategies covering small businesses, entrepreneurship, more equitable economy and inclusive growth, and connecting New Yorkers to quality jobs and in-demand skills. We were fortunate to discuss these issues at a recent CBC breakfast with our Deputy Mayor for Economic and Workforce Development, Maria Torres Springer. Deputy Mayor Torres Springer is well familiar with these issues since she has held leadership positions in multiple administrations. She's been the commissioner of both the city's small business services and housing preservation and development departments, as well as CEO of the Economic Development Corporation. So let's listen as the deputy mayor goes deeper into these plans. Why are they different than those that came before them and why they will be successful? I hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as we did. Feel free to watch a video of it at cbcny.org. And please come back soon for our next episode of What's the Data Point with our co-host Ben Max from Gotham Gazette and me, Andrew Ryan from the CBC. Take care, New York. So there are various approaches to economic development. There are, um, there are some who lean into certain industries and some try to get the basic business climate right. Everyone does a little of all things, but you know you can lean one way or the other. Some want use more discretionary incentives, some as of right incentives, some have big, big projects. Tell us a little about the uh, strategy of the administration, the overall economic recovery and growth strategy, and of course, rebuild. I'm trying to get the R's right. In that's the right okay. Order. I get rebuild, that renew, and reinvent. Tell, tell right. us a little about how, how you're approaching this. No, that's um, well. First of all, good morning again. It's fantastic to see. All of you, thank you for being here. I know the weather wasn't really cooperating, but I promised Marvin Marcus I'd change it by his baseball game later today. So um, I'm working on that. You have incredible It's a get-stuff-done type of administration. Um, uh, The the approach that we're taking in in this admin is really informed, um, I believe, by the experience we've all had as New Yorkers over the course of the last couple of years. You know, it's often been said that we have um, endured many crises, and I believe that it's been a cascade of crises. If we look at um, what we have gone through, it is um, all at once, and has been all at once, a mass casualty event, for example, like 9-11, a natural disaster like Hurricane Sandy. Um, It has had, because of the economic fallout, impacts to our economy and to the people of the city, like the Great Recession and uh, the fiscal crises of the past. And then, of course, the racial reckoning um, that we have had to um, 
really grapple with in the city, in this country over the course of the last couple of years. And so all of that forms a cascade of crises that when we came in to the administration, it had to be a focus not just on where the numbers stood in terms of unemployment, um, in terms of um, disparities, but really thinking about what were the structural issues in our, um, in our city. And so about how long was that, Nate? Nate didn't sleep. My chief of staff, Nate Bliss, is here. He didn't sleep for the first... He's always got a smile, though. He does. I don't know him well, but I've never seen him not smile. I'm convinced he sleeps with his eyes open um, because um, at about week nine um, into the administration, we did release um, a blueprint, Andrew, um, to accelerate the economic recovery. And, And I'll be honest, you know, nine weeks into administration, you can't pretend that you know everything, but it was really important to Mayor Eric Adams and really important to me that we chart very, very quickly in the admin what we were trying to do. And it had to have a mix of short-term actions, and I'll describe a couple, that we immediately had to take, as well as some longer-term initiatives that um, would hopefully put us on a path, not just to get back to pre-employment, pre-pandemic employment levels, but really tackle the structural questions that I mentioned earlier. So the Blueprint, 70 different initiatives, It has five pillars. I think we've made good progress on many of the 70 initiatives, but just to give people a picture. So the five pillars include um, really accelerating our recovery with a focus on our commercial business districts. Um, Second, uh, really uplifting our small businesses in the city. Third, driving sector growth. Fourth, connecting New Yorkers to jobs. And fifth, planning and building for the future. So on the first, um, the first pillar in terms of accelerating our recovery with a focus on our commercial business districts, of course that starts, and the mayor put out these two blueprints even before the economic recovery, with a very clear and unrelenting focus on public safety and quality of life. And then we knew we had to really supercharge uh, the engine of tourism in this city. So both additional funding for NYC and company, new approaches, all of that bearing fruit, I think, if you look at um, uh, TSA checkpoint numbers, if you look at Broadway numbers, hotel occupancy, those are improving in our city. The second pillar in terms of entrepreneurship and small business um, no surprise to anyone in this room, I know CBC has done over time many um, different uh, measures and research into our competitiveness um, as a city, and a big part of that, or a big obstacle to that competitiveness, um, it's a fact that government often works as an, an obstacle and not as a partner to small businesses. And so since the beginning of the administration, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about it later, we have... Um, uh, made some good strides and strong strides in really tackling the red tape that small businesses face with a very clear set of regulatory reforms to improve the small business environment in the city, um, scored a major win in Albany with a legislative change that allows us, in particular for MWBEs, to um, award more contracts to them by improving our Um, ability to provide discretionary grants to MWBEs. On sector growth, we have since in the last several weeks announced and implemented a number of different approaches to sectors from um, uplifting legacy sectors in our city to really nurturing new ones, whether that is gaming, 
cannabis, um, offshore wind, um, and on the fourth pillar, very importantly, connecting New Yorkers to jobs, fundamentally believe that we need a rethink of our public workforce system, not just because we're trying to solve the, the long-standing problems of fragmentation of our workforce programs for, um, for fragmentation's sake, but because we need to deliver better service to New Yorkers. That's always been the case, in particular when we have the unemployment levels that we have today and some um, really important strides on underlying issues um, that are barriers for New Yorkers, like childcare. And then finally, planning and building for growth. And hopefully um, a number of people in this room um, were um, part of the, the ABNY event um, some, a couple of weeks ago where the mayor talked about what it might mean for us to become a city of yes and look at our own zoning code and get rid of the sludge, the sludge that exists, it's existed for too long, and do the type of work citywide, every borough, every block, to build more capacity for housing, for jobs, and to tackle our climate crisis. Um, there are a number of others, but we've been, we've been busy, Andrew. I, I, and, I read a lot of plans yeah, in the last couple no, of days. The one thing I, the, the, the other thing I'll say is, you know, anyone can come up with a list of 70 different initiatives, and in many ways, that blueprint is stale the moment you print it. So what's more important for me, what I know is more important for the mayor, is the approach that we need to take in the work ahead. As we um, grapple with the realities of our economy and try to prepare for the future. And that approach has to be different. It has to be different. It has to be different in, in particular in a few ways. One is that government just has to work better. We have to break down the silos that for too long exist within government, actually communicate, make sure data drives our decisions, and tackle that, that and, and uh, do something with the sludge that exists across, um, across the different silos of government. And uh, we have to put people in the center of all of this work and not fall into the trap of thinking there's a choice between prosperity in our city and issues of justice and equity. And finally, and which is why, you know, rooms like this that have, um, you know, the, the visionaries and business titans and, um, and so many important partners across different sectors, we have to call in each and every one of you into this work and do it in ways that are authentic and enduring and effective and know that um, each and every one of you and the organizations you represent are so critical and have to be drum majors, frankly, in the march that we're all taking to ensure our economy recovers. So that's what we're doing. That's a lot. It's, it's broad. One of the challenges when you do so much is how to um, make sure that all this stuff gets done, to reverse some words that we've heard before. Um, have you set goals, benchmarks, metrics for each of these pieces, how are you organized to manage, manage it? You know, we're performance management people. You are. And, 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 and what I appreciate about the administration's approach, and we'll come back to the red tape, because if government doesn't work, nothing else, you can shiny new toy yourself to death. But, you know, if government's not serving its customers, it's not, it's not going to work. But so I was thinking about, to GSD, performance management is key, which you can use. Or we'll use it for a title of our next report. I'm not sure what. Um, <laughs> How are you organized to manage all these initiatives? Is there a tracking and a management system in place? 
Yes, and it happens in a few different levels, and it needs to be, frankly, it needs to be better. I mean, what's, what I have experienced in, in government is that there, it's, there's no shortage of tracking systems. That's true. It's just... There's a surplus. There's a, it, it, it's a different question, however, if there is an actual tool that improves management. Right. That achieves the type of accountability and learning that's needed for agencies and for, and for City Hall as we try to uh, collapse the difference between the rhetoric of getting stuff done and the actual getting of stuff done. Um, so in, in the world of economic and workforce development, here's some of the ways um, that, that we um, are trying to make sure that we are measuring, uh, tracking and, and measuring um, what's actually getting done. So um, we have, and we, we, we customized this when we came in, uh, when the team was formed. On, on one hand, just a, a dashboard of all of the important economic recovery statistics and indicators in our city so that we as a team had a very good sense of what was up, what was down, what was lagging, where we needed to focus, um, what, what we needed to do and say to... Um, uh, to frankly combat some of the narrative and sensationalization of um, of what is happening, or see that too often um, we see um, uh, in ink, and those indicators on the dashboard run the gamut from what retail spending looks like, what visitorship, um, airport checkpoints, um, Broadway numbers, hotel occupancy, of course, um, employment numbers. And also, you know, like street cleanliness, which, by the way, is up 6% since the beginning of the year in terms of um, positive ratings. And so that we track on a weekly basis. We look at it. We talk about it as a team on one hand. Then on the 70 different initiatives, there is, um, of course, there too, um, a, a robust kind of implementation and tracking system. And what I have learned um, in government is that you simultaneously have to have a very acute sense of urgency about all of this work, and then also uncommon patience, because <laughs> you know just because you put in the blueprint, and in some ways just because you put in the executive in the in in the budget, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get done. And so the second mantra I've always I've always had or belief is that. Only in government does the second law of thermodynamics that an object set in motion stays in motion. Mm -hmm. It doesn't apply. And so I've been very clear to the team at City Hall and, um, and with our agency partners that we have to be killers in execution. And, and that requires really nose to the grindstone work, not, not particularly glamorous, but that, in my, um, in my view, is how we collapse the difference um, between our aspirations and actually improving the lives of New Yorkers and doing what our business community um, needs in the city in order to continue investing. Well, thank you. I think my, my lesson in government is if you're not pushing forward, you're being dragged backward. That's I think right. it's, it, it's similar. Um, we're here to help on, 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 on input of, of, of ideas on data and management systems because you also need the system, not just the data. That's right. So the people use, use the data, and I would I'd just urge publicly setting those goals and tracking those will help with a lot of the accountability and the legitimacy so people know that it's not just an announcement, it's not just a plan, right. you know, stuff is getting done. Before getting into the transfers, also, 
as I mentioned in the opening, we don't know the future of remote work, the office market, retail. How have you built that into your plans, the uncertainty and where we might be going in, in, in your expectation of class, you know, ABC, office space, what's going oh, on? Yes, those are, I wake up in the morning thinking about those questions um, and I'd say that it, what it has meant for us is operating on a number of gears. Whatever you might think about the future of, of the office market in New York City, it's very clear that right now we have to focus on public safety and quality of life, like full stop, right? And so we're doing that. We have to do that. Um, it's clear that we have to um, make the types of investments in our um, small businesses, for instance, who are, um, of course, the anchors in so many of um, our commercial districts across the five boroughs, we are doing that. It's clear that we have to do everything that we can from either a kind of narrative and bully pulpit and being out in the world and showing our love for New York City, and we have a mayor who literally does not sleep. Whether it's a Broadway show, um, it being out in so many different neighborhoods of our city, that's an important part of of what it means to bring the city back and the city is coming back. And we have to not kid ourselves that we know exactly whether these trends on in-office work, for instance, are going to be permanent. And, but we can't stumble into that future. So one of the major approaches that we're taking so that we don't just wring our hands about what the future might hold, but we actually engage um, New Yorkers and leaders across different sectors in this work um, is a, uh, a, a blue ribbon panel that the mayor and the governor, the mayor and the governor have convened. And so it's like this new world of open communication and collaboration. It's really incredible. You can clap for that. Um, Some places it wouldn't be a applause line, but here. Yes, no, that's right. But in New York it is, we it, know. That's right. Um, a new New York panel, what are there, 65, um, I believe, real um, visionaries in, in business and philanthropy and not-for-profit um, who are helping us tackle these issues. Um, tackle, it's not, it starts with what's the future of our central business districts. We had our first meeting just a couple of days ago, and it was incredibly inspiring because these are New Yorkers or individuals who don't just have a lot of ideas, there's definitely a lot of very strong opinions about um, the future of our central business districts, but the, the, the real desire and energy to help chart what will, how we need to reinvent ourselves into the future was, re, was very palpable. And make no mistake about it, I think that's the question. It is time and again, as you all know, many of you led the charge um, as the city has confronted crises in the past, it is a moment to reinvent ourselves and to think not just about what a modern office building needs to be, not even what a modern central business district needs to be, but what does a modern city that both, um, of course, needs to maintain its, its tax base um, and generate prosperity, but tackles those entrenched inequities in our city, what does that type of city need to be? And so we have, we have a lot of, it's a, it's a tall order, a lot of work cut out for us, but I have a full confidence that it's just the type of table that will help us get there and deliver um, this fall a set of 
recommendations for joint city-state actions so we can exploit in the best possible way this window that we have, and I hope it lasts for a very, very long time, um, to tackle um, issues that the city and state, of course, have to tackle together. So thank you. Good luck. It's always tough to name a new panel, the new New York panel. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't Google to find out if there, there was one, but it looks like a great group. Um, so lots of people are attracted to shiny new toys. CBC has advocated to getting the basics right, as the administration has, you know, clean, safe streets, quality education, and improving gov government customer service, as you said. And we think about customers, you know, residents, tourists, commuters, and business. Um, so let's drill down on that. Could you tell us a little about Small Business Forward, the business portal, the um, efforts to reduce red tape and stuff. You've, you, I think you did small business first before. What have you learned? H how are you moving forward? Right. Um, we're not the first administration that says it wants to cut red tape for small businesses. I'll be very honest. I was part of the last two that said the same thing. Um, and so what, what needs to be different this time? Um, I think it's a, it's a question of speed, a question of velocity, a question of culture, and a question of accountability. So in terms of speed, it was day four of the administration that the mayor signed the executive orders, executive order two, um, uh, an initiative called Small Business Forward, where the, uh, the goal there was for all of the regulatory agencies to identify the top 25 violations that small businesses face and then do a complete review of them. And then it becomes a question of velocity. And so we are both getting to um, uh, uh, reforms here and doing it quickly, but doing that while we change culture because that it's not just, if you just take the path of least resistance, I think you know any agency can come up with here that the, here are the marginal reforms we're going to make and let's call it a day. We know that that can't be the case. And so you fast forward, you know, 10 weeks later and I see my colleague Adam Foreman here, he too didn't sleep for those 10 weeks and we released the findings of um, the Small Business Forward work and approximately 120 reforms are being made. There are 30 different violations that are getting eliminated, another 50 where we're reducing penalties, another 40 that are um, being uh, uh, changed from uh, uh, violations to first time warnings, extended cure periods. I think those will make a difference to small businesses in different sectors of our city and we also know that our work is, is not done. Um, and so what does that mean? That means that we have to better finally leverage technology to address the fact that is still true today, sadly, that small businesses have to endure a real Kafkaesque experience to open, to get licenses that they need. And so a perfect way to leverage technology, we are going to do that by the end of the year, a true one-stop portal. And the second piece that we all know and I think have lived through is that um, we have to be mindful of the types of regulations that um, impact a small business's ability to really not just start but grow and operate in the city. And so we formed a small business commission that will continually pr provide feedback to us um, as new legislation is getting um, introduced, as um, uh, additional um, barriers might be more evident in the small business community so we continue to tackle that because uh, I'm very proud of the work with Small Business Forward but it's, it's a start 
it's a start of what needs to be a more enduring and really baked in approach that this mayor has insisted amongst the different agencies of finding ways to get to yes um, with uh, the work that we need to do for um, uh, so many important stakeholders across the five boroughs. I would um, just, well, Executive Order 2 is tied with 13 as, my, as two of my favorite executive orders. Um, 13 being the chief official. Only Andrew officer. has favorite executive orders. Um, but um, <laughs> I, I would say, I would urge Maybe you. Maybe Kaz Holloway does. I know he's well, in I, the you know, room. I, there you go. You have some favorite ones too. I, I, I saw Kaz because I was thinking about, I'm sure a few of us in this room have tried to consolidate inspections, have reduced fines. We've, we've been involved in this. I will urge you in that because, you know, we will all have successors to figure out, because, of course, I'm a health department guy in my past, reducing a fine from 500 to 400, what is that going to do? I urge you to keep finding out how much that matters. We know that the red tape is bad. We know that the length of time. One of the things you, you wanted to, um, I, I think, reduce the time to open by half or something, right. it's like really drill down what is really having the effect there, because it's easier said than done, as we don't know. But speaking of land use decisions and speeding things up, um, land use decision making, we have a report coming out next month, uh, and I'll send you a draft of it, love your thoughts. Um, it's really in the interest of you know, stability and neighborhood stability, we're fomenting stagnation and we're stopping things going forward. Land use decisions are unpredictable, take too long, increase costs, and, and we're not helping balance those neighborhood and citywide growth right. needs. Um, Building and Land Use Application Streamlining Task Force, BLAST, one of my favorite acronyms tied with um, SEED we'll get to next. Um, tell us about this. This is actually my favorite of the 70 different. Um, <laughs> See, you have favorites. I do have, I do have favorites of the 70 different initiatives. Um, and it is it, uh, an effort, as you described, Andrew, to really do a deep dive in the three lanes that create uh, the type of process that we have to see that I, I believe impedes growth um, and certainly uh, costs too much time and money for those who are involved. So we are doing a deep dive in the uh, seeker environmental review process, the land use process, and the permitting process. We've convened and had really good and productive conversations with all of the implicated regulatory agencies and have, of course, um, um, brought in many um, external stakeholders, gotten their input. A number of you are in this room, so thank you for being um, part of those workshops. Uh, because there too, and the, the results of that work will um, be shared um, later in the year, we have, to, we have to do better. We have to have um, really tangible goals in terms of, well, how, by how much are we really cutting um, cycle times. Do we even know how long projects are taking in, say, pre the pre-certification period? Listen, ULERP is the most predictable part of the process. It's but the, the pre-certification yes. part of it um, is a different question. I see a couple people nodding. <laughs> They've been in that limbo for a very long time. So, um, and and I, I also want to be clear that we think there's we we can do that while ensuring that we are being responsible in terms of the review that we have to do as government, ensuring that there's meaningful community engagement. We don't have to sacrifice those goals. The same way with the small business work, we don't have to sacrifice public safety and public health 
because we are trying to make it easier for small businesses to open, operate, and grow. And so it's really this idea of not falling into the traps of false choices that we have to, that, that's, the, that's the challenge within different agencies. And I believe part of my job is to um, give everyone the, the, the license to do that, the invitation, the mandate to do that, and, and make sure that the, what is being recommended and ultimately implemented um, is, that is as um, effective and as enduring as possible. A challenging area as we started this, uh, our own effort, because we'd never worked on land use before, but we realized this is the future of New York City's competitiveness depends on us doing this better than we ha That's have. Right. When are the recommendations expected? I know. In the fall. In the fall. In the okay. fall, early fall. Okay, early fall. So The early fall trick, a couple of you might. <laughs> well, um, I, I used but to we're, we're getting to work on it. It's, and it's been, the age, it, this, is, this is one, and you know, some of the conversations, it's really like pulling teeth. This has been one, really, in conversations with different agencies. There's a real recognition that it's, it has to change. When you just look at the charts, Everyone here has seen the Gantt charts of, um, or has lived the Gantt charts of how long it takes to get permitted to open your building. Um, it's almost criminal. We and, cannot. And our report will continue this way. do estimates of the cost of that. And that's, Excellent. Uh, you know, and that's just, it's terrible. We need to move faster and cheaper. That's right. um, two things hard in the city, but, but crucial. Before I open up to other questions, seed, strategy for equity and economic development. I was reading in the blueprint, I, I'm a little um, trying to figure out, is this a process or is this a fund to help capital planning and communities? Could you help us it's understand both. both? It's both. No wonder um, I didn't you know, in, in early conversations with our new chair of city planning, um, Dan Gorodnik, one of the, uh, I think one of the questions or challenges that we want to address in ways that, that, that make sense um, is how we um, do capital planning in the city. Now, there's a piece of this. I know Lorraine was here. There's the capital project delivery process. You know, that too um, is a, to fix that, an, another holy grail of government. There's procurement, the other holy grail. I think <laughs> uh, here, uh, the, the, this third piece is just as important. And so seed, this fund, this process is, is um, uh, an intervention, a strategy that we're taking to make the type of catalytic investments in neighborhoods right now to accelerate their recovery, that's kind of step one. Investments in uh, public space, investments in community infrastructure, um, that will unlock, um, we hope, the, um, uh, the potential in different neighborhoods to help drive their recovery. And then step two is thinking about what that really might mean more citywide mm -hmm. um, and in, in uh, in ways that address what are the long-standing community needs and gaps, and to do that type of neighborhood planning, capital planning, um, in the most effective way, which you know often government does well, and often it doesn't. And so those are really the the two aspirations for the seed fund, and we'll um, and we're learning a lot and working hand in hand with OMB as we do it. Fantastic. OMB seems to be important to certain things, so it's always good to have them with you. That's right. um, now, I've been accused of not looking to the back of the room well enough. Maybe it's the glasses that I need to refer. But um, do people have some questions? Why don't we open up, if okay, with you? Kaz, since I, you know, you're, you're right early and often. Oh, thanks. Um, my favorite executive order is... <laughs> 
is we're going to go around the room and everyone's going to say what they're is actually the fleet is. one that was done yeah. around uh, that Keith Kerman knows a lot about. So you should you know definitely, but it's, it could be a model for business agency consolidation, you know, type That's things. You've talked a ton about so many of the kind of nitty gritty, and I don't think the mayor, I don't think there could be a better team that's been put together, uh, particularly hearing you talk about it, yourself included. If you guys can't tackle it, you, you um, women can't tackle it, <laughs> uh, nobody can. What are you thinking in terms of new business attraction and that kind of diversification that is so important? What industries remain kind of uh, not nearly as kind of what they potentially could be um, within the city. Yeah. No, thank you. And um, I have the great pleasure of walking to City Hall and collaborating with um, uh, my sister deputy mayors. And that, too, makes a real difference in the day-to-day. -day, very cool. Um, that, uh, and uh, thank you for the, the well wishes on that. I hope we do get a, a lot done together. Um, but the issue of, of sector growth, you know, it's a it's a an important one. It starts with we have to be honest. Government's never going to pick the next big winner, right? It's just not good at that. We shouldn't we shouldn't try. However, there are, um, in my opinion, um, a couple of major strategies that we can take so that whatever that next big sector is or that next big company is, it locates here, it grows here, it anchors here. So in terms of um, our, in our sector work, it's not about picking individual companies. It is, however, thinking about for our legacy industries, whether that is finance, whether that is media, fashion, what does it mean to see continued growth and innovation in those sectors, and then importantly for this administration, how do we make sure that New Yorkers, in particular those who are too often left out of job opportunities, can actually access those sectors? And then there are the emerging sectors, whether that is offshore wind, cannabis, life sciences, um, you can't call tech an emerging sector anymore, um, so those are some that we're paying attention to. And there, it's the really customized approach of saying, what is it that would allow, that will allow this sector to you know, flourish in New York, but really making targeted investments? That's kind of strategy one. The second strategy is, regardless of what sector that is, there are some very basic, um, in addition to public safety and quality of life, there are some foundational investments that we have to make that build on our strengths in the city to ensure that there is the type of investment and business attraction that needs to happen. And that runs the gamut from a clear focus on talent. And in this administration, I hope that everyone will see that there will be better partnership and um, and investment in our uh, public institutions, the CUNYs, of course, um, uh, uh, colleges across the different um, across the different boroughs, the investment in the public workforce system that I mentioned earlier, real estate where we need to, and for some industries that's ensuring that there's the right type of incubator step out space. Sometimes it's just clearing the sludge and zoning to allow for new industries to come in. 
Um, of course, it's infrastructure, both the soft infrastructure, if I may, in ensuring that we tackle issues of childcare, to the more hard infrastructure of ensuring that that, that the public realm in our different neighborhoods so that people will con and businesses continue to be attracted to New York. So these are the foundational investments that we have to make regardless of the sectors, even though we are um, very mindful and excited about the fact that um, uh, we can continue to diversify as a city and as economy because it's clearly um, uh, very much needed. Thanks, and I've circled, I've seen some names. I think I saw Mark Willis. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Uh, great to have you here. And it's uh, been wonderful to hear all of what you're trying to do to remove the sludge uh, within uh, government. Uh, but part of this whole idea of getting to yes really needs to deal with uh, overall culture here that sometimes we think uh, it's more the culture of no. And uh, particularly working in the local communities, uh, opposition has... Uh, uh, been a problem. I just want to know what you're thinking about that, about if you want to even go there to uh, council member deference and uh, issues of how do we build more um, support for those great things that you want to do in government so we can get to yes and move forward. Yeah. Um, I'll, say if, I'll say a few things here. Getting to a, a city of yes is... Um, it's not just a, a campaign. I can say that till I'm blue in the face. We have to be a city of yes, and we won't necessarily get there unless we do the work. And by we, it's the, it's the royal we. Um, I, I'm under no illusion that every project that's ever been advanced or supported by government has had perfect community engagement, right? Like, that hasn't happened. We have to make sure that as we think about growth in this city, which is so important, that the projects that, that um, we try to advance or we support, they aren't just projects that seem like they are happening to communities. And those are definitely work there that I know um, Dan Gorodnik with City Planning and many of the different agencies to ensure that community engagement is as real and meaningful as possible. And then we have to make sure that more voices are heard in this discussion as well. I mean, the idea of inclusive growth in this city is, I believe, an idea and an agenda that can and should benefit everyone. And that's where rooms like this are important. Like, who stands up to say, we do need to get to a city of yes? Who stands up to say, when we tackle issues of housing and jobs and climate, it has to be a citywide approach? And so that's the invitation to all of you, and everywhere I am, that's the invitation I make. Because this is, it's often been said, a lot of ink has been spilled. We are at an inflection point in our city. And so we have a choice here. Do we stand back up the city that existed you know, almost two, more than two years ago, right before the shutdowns of Broadway and the lights went dark on Broadway and, and, um, um, and the stay-at-home orders started, there's a part of that city that was prosperous and great and strong, but there was a part of that city, too, that had real challenges. And so that, I think, is the work ahead of us. And, and getting to yes will require every single sector of our city to kind of make their voices heard about where we, where we need to go. It's not a, um, 
It's not an easy, it's not an easy task, but nothing about the last two and a half years has been easy, Mark, right? And so that's the, that, that is the, the challenge, I think, ahead of us. Well, we look forward to working on this with you because it's very important. Jay caught my eye early, so I, I, I can't forget you. Uh, thanks for your talk. Um, Mark Willis and I were talking about the role of 421A in housing production in the city, which has, has historically been a big, a big factor. Obviously, the administration can't control the state legislature. In, in a world where there's no 421A, does that change the balance of what you want to do with city-owned land, or do you want to, or is that sort of more something you'll wait to see what the legislature does on, uh, on affordable housing production? I think we have to do everything that is within our power right now to increase the housing supply in this city. Um, and while, and hopefully many of you in this room have had a chance to meet and work with um, our chief housing officer, Jessica Katz, um, <clears throat> a big fan of hers. We just released the housing plan. You know, we, of course, made the best case that we could, and Albany and 421A did not come to pass this time around. And there are a lot of other tools. And so um, we can... Uh, I'm choosing not to write too many, you know, postmortems on 421A and think about the tools that we have today that will boost our housing supply. Many of them, of course, are, um, are in the new housing plan that was released, and we have to implement that, again, with the type of speed and velocity and urgency um, that's, that's needed. And so it's not a, it, it's not as, it, with, with what happened with 421A, it's not, well, what's the, the exact thing that will um, compensate for that, but really what is the slate of different approaches that we need to take with our own property, with zoning, um, and, and with other ideas, and I know many of you have already shared, and I encourage you to share more, so that we um, don't miss a beat, given that the, the, uh, the housing crisis in this city um, has not abated, and we need to get right back to the work of um, ensuring um, safe, affordable, and dignified homes for New Yorkers. Only in New York, the lieutenant governor debate last night had a question about ADUs and TOD. Only in New York, only in New York. Mike Britchko, I saw back there. My glasses are getting better by the moment. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, I guess I have a question. I'm going to kind of merge a couple of things you've talked about. Um, infrastructure, um, and I'll say the, uh, the mayor and the governor, um, specifically the, the Penn Station area of development, um, and um, obviously it should be a huge economic boon to the city. Um, the mayor and the governor obviously just recently had their announcement sort of together. Um, I'll say um, a little bit surprised. Um, CBC, I know, sort of against um, or, or um, maybe has issues with the state coming in and taking the city's land. I guess, is, is the city on board um, with this, or would the city really be better off um, kind of going on its own, and I'll say maybe uh, the mayor, may, maybe fighting the governor a little bit in rezoning itself, um, sort of like Midtown East? That's a, there's a lot in that question. Um, so, <laughs> are you against it? How could you no. get it? Just, I mean, that, We're going to turn this you, around. I, I, I'm going to ask Andrew questions. We, we, Andrew, we, are you against major transit improvements? No, we, we, we are Do you for think the, development the state of, the Penn? of Penn Station is acceptable at the moment? Um, no, but but I, I, will say, I will say this. No, we, I will we, answer the question seriously. We, we raised 
five issues. I think it was five, Sean. Five issues about the plan, the financing plan specifically. And they were actually mirrored by very much what city planning wrote you know, in January. The question is, there are outstanding questions about what this plan really looks like and how it is done. And it is unprecedented taking city land. So what does that all look yeah, like? No, that's right. These are really important questions. I'll start with, I don't think anyone in this room believes that the current state of Penn Station is acceptable in the city. That's number one, right? If anyone believes the current state of Penn Station in the city is acceptable, please raise your hand. Okay. Um, second, I imagine everyone in this city, in this room, believes that whatever happens there, we have to protect the public fist, we have to protect the city's interests. Anyone disagree with that? No. The third, I imagine people in this room believe, is that projects like this, you know, there's this algorithm for major projects, that if it involves however many agencies, you add them up, if it involves the MTA, you times two, if it involves Amtrak, it's <laughs> times 20, right? And then there's another agency, which I won't name, for which the difficulty level becomes infinite. We have a moment here where all of the many different railroads, the city of New York, the MTA, where there's a window where we could we need to collaborate to get the type of infrastructure projects done in this city that I know that the CBC has supported, and we have to do that right. So that is our job in city government, to not be an impediment to progress, to seize an opportunity, to make generational changes and progress on our transit, and of course, and this is why we're working collaboratively with the state, and. And I know that there's more that um, uh, that will um, need to be shared in the days and, and, and weeks to come. What does that deal look like that protects the city's interests, that ensure that does right by the community? And we are 100% focused on that. But I think it can get done, and I think it has to get done, not just for the area around Penn Station, but for that type of prosperous and equitable future that, we, that we're trying to achieve. So that's... No, that's I mean, there's great potential. Listen, our office is on 35th between 7th and 8th. Um, I, I know the area well. I've, I've worked there for a long time. Um, I think there's great potential for the economy, great potential to improve the experience that people come, have coming in and out, which many of us have done many times. Um, so I appreciate it. And, and frankly, as you say, the governor and the mayor are working together which is key, but of course we have to protect the city's fisc and the city's interests in the right way, and that's part of the challenge with doing that. And urging transparency in that is always you know, something CBC is going to do because many things happen in Albany and sometimes in New York City that just magically happen at some times in the night, and, and you only can figure out later as you're sifting through whether it was a good deal or not. Um, sounds good. Um, Peter Hine. Uh, have you and the administration focused on the impact of these city and state personal income tax and the business taxes on your ability to retain businesses, including the financial sector businesses, uh, to say nothing of attract new businesses? Um, yes, we always do. Is there anything in particular, Peter, that you're concerned about, would like to see change, <laughs> think we should be focusing more on? Uh, you know, for example, Florida has no personal income tax whatsoever and lower business taxes, and New York State and city have the highest personal income taxes in the country, as well as very high business taxes. If I were looking at where to bring my business or whether to stay here, 
for example, uh, Griffin from uh, Citadel. Uh, I just heard him last night talking at a program at the New York Historical Society how he built some huge trading floor in Palm Beach and basically implying they set up fiber network cables, you know, they can trade down there. I mean, isn't that a competitive threat? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to make any news today about uh, cha big changes in tax policy. I'm <laughs> sorry, Andrew. That may, um, but, of course, we have to take that seriously and, take ser and, and um, not pretend that just because we say we're the greatest city on earth that, that that will always and forever mean that businesses will want to locate here, that businesses will want to invest here, that our people will want to stay here forever and live here. And so that that has meant for us in this administration, you know, not just looking at tax policy, of course incredibly important, but all of um, the reasons why businesses come to New York. And Number one, at least in my experience in, in speaking with, with um, employers, incumbent and prospective, it's because of the talent in the city. And so we've always been a magnet. We can't sit on our hands and pretend that will always be the case. We have to continue to push there. It's because of the dynamism in the city and the fact that we have the most amazing um, arts and culture um, uh, sector and we have to continue to invest there. And so it's all of, it's all of those where I think our competitiveness will, um, uh, will continue to stay strong and then tackling those areas where we haven't been as competitive. And that includes looking at our, for example, infrastructure in this city, looking at our regulatory environment. So I'm not dodging your question. I'm saying the frame that we have in um, thinking about business attraction, in thinking about um, people retention, has to necessarily, in our opinion, be wider. Because if we're just competing on that axis, then that, will, that may not be a winning fight. Um, and, uh, and, and I think we have, as a city, as I know all of you, have so many important strengths that we do need to continue to capitalize on. Thank you. And I will say, you know, I had this discussion, the Chancellor is focused on this. The decline in enrollment in the public schools is one of the things that worries me most, because if we have, if we want to have a competitive workforce and we have people who you're watching them walk with their feet, um, voting with their feet that way, it's, it's more diverse than obviously our tax base, our business base, our, our kids, this families, that, that's dangerous. Paula, and it might be the last where we're, we're pushing on time, so Paula, please. Great talk and nice to see you this morning. Um, the city's recovery blueprint outlines plans to promote growth outside of the Manhattan core. And as a Queens gal, I applaud that. Um, but previous, previous efforts to develop new commercial hubs outside Manhattan have had mixed results. What's different this time around? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, so I think there are tools that have been effective, even if they haven't been perfect across um, the boroughs outside of Manhattan that we have to um, utilize and deploy and come up with new approaches. So some of that includes continued investment in you know, some of the more established um, 
downtowns outside of Manhattan and, of course, in Long Island City and downtown Brooklyn. The work there has started, and it's not done, um, whether those are investments in the public realm um, that need to occur, um, continued focus on quality of life. And, um, and there are um, tailwinds that I think are positive and encouraging there, um, given uh, what we're seeing in terms of how the, the new trends and how people um, work and commute. It also, that's one piece. The, the second piece um, has involved, and I think we have to be much more aggressive in this, looking at city levers. So for example, what we've done before in a couple of instances, but have to improve the speed and the velocity and the urgency again here, using city leases to anchor development in um, emerging downtowns. So that's another, we've done that a couple of times, we're going to accelerate that in this administration. Um, and then um, a lot of that too means um, really, and the, this is the work the new New York panel I hope too will tackle is, in some ways we have to grapple with the question is what's, what is a New York job? What does it mean as we grapple with these trends to allow for the type of, of economic um, activity and energy in many different nodes across the five boroughs? In some ways it kind of brings into question even the term central business district. So of course we have to fortify the employment hubs in Manhattan for the vitality of those neighborhoods and our tax base and keep ourselves open to where are those other nodes and to your very you know, specific question, what does it mean to really nurture them? And nurture them not just so that there's business activity, but so that New Yorkers across all educational backgrounds have access to um, the type of um, economic activity that will result from um, new employment nodes um, across the city. And one very last, is it quick, Jackie? Yeah. We'll go quick. I have to answer Jackie's question. She'll never forget We're going me. quick, and, and since we're all family, I can say quick. What kind of partnerships will the city have with the state to ensure that the ca this new cannabis market mm. will have to make sure that future entrepreneurs will have proper information yes. about what they can yeah. and cannot do from the beginning of starting a business, ownership, whether it's social equity or just having a regular business. Yeah. I find that there's inconsistent mm. information being provided by the state uh, these new formed organizations, mm -hmm. whether people are black, white, mm. purple, uh, LGBTQ, or whatever uh, designation that they want to call themselves, there is no consistent mm -hmm. information being provided. So is the city going to play a role in educating from the legislation that has been created? Yeah, we have to. We have to otherwise, what will happen in New York City is what has happened in every other city in this country that has tried but failed to develop an equitable cannabis industry. So of course, 
the, a lot, the, regu the regulations and the licenses are coming from the state. We are working closely with them because though that regulation that ha has to then land in the city in ways that allow us to build a more um, equitable cannabis industry. So what does that mean specifically? Um, that means that we have to have an agency like the Department of Small Business Services together with partners in different communities provide the type of outreach education and training. So additional funding was put in, um, is now in, in the, the budget for this next fiscal year to stand up that type of outreach team so that the information is clearer, it lands on the ground, it, um, it is consistent with the state. Um, that approach also means um, understanding what are the real estate needs and zoning barriers. Um, and so that will involve, it has already involved um, an economic development corporation because the real estate needs are different, whether it's you know, retail to growing to all of the, the entire supply chain here. And then, of course, zoning um, with the Department of City Planning. So there is a very active... Um, really working group across different agencies to do this. We just had a very um, productive roundtable with the mayor and um, different organizations with, with good questions and will help us really shape what this looks like going forward. But here's, here's the thing that I'll say, the last thing I'll say in the cannabis industry. There is a lot of um, money involved in this. There's a lot of potential. And across the nine different licenses that are going to be available, our, our work cannot just be, in my opinion, about who got the license, how many businesses started. We have to be laser focused on what does it mean for wealth creation for communities and entrepreneurs impacted by the war on drugs. And really have it be focused there and understand where is it. Where are those real opportunities to do that type of wealth creation? And so there's a lot of work to do, open to ideas, just like of anything else I've said today, um, but we're, we're focused on it. Thank you. There are a number of questions, and I apologize not to get more. We didn't even talk about ferries or anything. So there's so much in the portfolio. Ferries are perfect, Andrew. We don't. There's um, more to come. More to there's come. more to come. But thank you so much, uh, and thanks for staying with us and doing that. Thank you.